Whether you're an entrepreneur, event planner, political organizer, video producer, cattle farmer, fashion designer, architect, real estate agent, or magazine editor, Airtable can help you create your way. Learn more and get a special offer for the Founders Project listeners at Airtable.com slash Founders Project. Welcome to Inks, the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. This week, meet Eric Sen, co-founder and CEO of Store, a platform that enables anyone to create a store from their phone in just three clicks. Eric and his team are working to disrupt the entire retail model with a new breed of peer-to-peer marketplace. A Gale grad who started his career in Hollywood, Eric founded Store alongside his cousin, and they've raised $7 million to bring Store to consumers. Welcome, Eric. So excited to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Eric, so I want to just start at the beginning. I feel like all of a sudden I saw Store popping up everywhere. Um, give us a sense. What exactly is Store? Uh, walk us through kind of how you came up with the idea and a little bit of where the company is today. Yeah, perfect. So uh, Store is a marketplace where friends can buy new brand name products directly from their friends. Brands handle all the shipping. And we actually just redistribute that 15 to 25% that a traditional retailer like Amazon or Macy's would make to people and uh, actually to the charity of the seller's choice. So um, yeah, it's a peer-to-peer marketplace. The, the idea came from a completely different idea. We, about two and a half years ago, we were working on a sports marketing idea with Ricky Fowler's team at Wasserman. Um, and I don't even know if Ricky Fowler knows this story, so I think one day it'll be really funny to tell him. But basically, the idea was really niche, and we were looking for a way to make it bigger. And we realized at the time that Ricky Fowler had more followers on social media than Puma, and he's Puma's poster boy in the golf space. So we asked him you know, why he didn't have his own store. Uh, his team said, I'd, I'd love to have my own store, but can't manage it, don't want to invest any money in it, and don't know how to build it. So that was kind of the the light bulb moment for us that let us go back and do a lot of research. That's amazing. That's right when the aha moment happened, the light bulb went off and you're like, huh, what if we could give him a store? Yeah. So talk us through a little bit of when was that and literally standing the company up to today and getting the uh, first round of funding. Just give us a sense of the logistics, headquarters, how many people are on the team? Yeah. So that was two and a half years ago. And um, I had some money left over from a Kickstarter campaign that I launched a year before that and really kind of took that money and used it to do a bunch of research into commerce and retail and went all the way back to the 1850s when a lot of these big department stores started. And, you know, as, as the idea started with a celebrity, the idea has obviously come much farther than that. Um, and it's about peers today. So, um, yeah, so we made our first hire about 15 months ago, and that was our chief business officer, Tory Crown, and our CTO, Evelyn Cordner, just after that. Um, since then, we've raised uh, $7.8 million. We are 18 people today. We have a couple uh, job offers out this week, so hoping to, to kind of uh, go past 20 in the next week or two. And then, yeah, we, we did a soft launch in January and then opened the platform up to general availability, literally for anyone to open a store from their phone uh, in May. Wonderful. Eric, quickly tell us, so you raised $7 million. How did that go? Who did you collect that from? Was that a seed round? What What's out there about your fundraise? So uh, we had an interesting, an interesting time raising our seed round because 
uh, we went to a few VCs here in San Francisco and said, well, we have this amazing business idea. The market is gigantic. We have brands already signed up. We have a prototype. Uh, we've kind of checked all the boxes. And they said, well, this is, this is amazing. If you can pull this off, it's huge. Um, come back to us once you've built it. And I was like, well, we're a marketplace. We need the money to build. Um, and so we went to New York and we were able to raise from Peter Soxie, former CEO of Macy's.com, Karen Katz, a former CEO of Neiman Marcus, um, Elise Walker, A-Rod, you know, the Chanel linked Moose Partners, and Adrian Shapira, former CFO of David Yerman. And we kind of came back to Silicon Valley with about 1.6 million raised on a safe and then was able to, to attract the VCs at that point. They all kind of jumped because it had been validated by um, kind of these retail titans. So yeah, we, it was a, a slew of strategic angels. We added Jenny Fleiss, who I know you've had on platform and uh, and Rebecca Minkoff as well, and Ali Pincus and a few others. Um, and and we've, we've also added a couple really, really strategic VCs. It's Spark Capital, um, a lot of experience investing in consumer marketplaces and retail and, and social media and Twitter, Glossier, Slack, Warby Parker, SV Angel, and then, um, yeah, Abstract Ventures was, was Romton. It was the one that kind of tied it all together. So it's been a, a, a group of strategics and VCs. Uh, it didn't come easy in the beginning, but we were scrappy and, and we got to where we needed to go. How big do you want store to be? How big do I want store to be? Uh, yeah. I, I'd like to, you know, I think we're in an interesting place because we're not, uh, we don't do any fulfillment. Um, so we can continue to build and build and build and make the product better and connect with more brands. Um, I'd like it to be global. And I think people's personal brands, you were talking about it a little bit earlier, you have those friends who um, have expertise as, as moms or as cyclists, right? Um, people's brands have become global and, and you know, social media has, has helped us uh, kind of create that. So I think I think we can be in Europe pretty quickly and then Australia soon after that. So um, I'd like it to be global. I'd like it to be um, something that everyone can experience and enjoy and, and hopefully somebody can make a little bit of money from. So really quickly, I want to talk about you for a moment. So you started your career in the entertainment business in LA and then you switched gears to becoming a tech CEO in San Francisco. Walk me through a little bit of just that transition and kind of how do you make sense of that personally? Yeah, so um, went to a liberal arts school where they teach you nothing practical about business and chose to study film and uh, graduated in 2010 when there were no jobs. So uh, went to Hollywood, wrote screenplays for the guy that wrote The Breakup um, and was one of the rewriters on The Hangover. Just wrote jokes for him for a while and needed more money. So I asked him if he knew anybody I could work for on, on the side. And he got me in touch with one of his buddies who was starting a entertainment tech company. And I was the third hire and kind of just fell in love with it. Never looked back. Um, still really love movies and writing and all that good stuff. But the truth is, you know, I needed more money. So I got involved in tech and then hopped around from a few different startups, some very successful, some not successful before we, we started store. I love that. So you officially launched in 2019, but you started working on store back in 2016. The earliest years can obviously be the hardest, raising your first dollar, building an MVP. Take us behind the scenes a little bit of what that really looked like for you just personally. Uh, what was your kind of narrative as you're standing the company up? 
Yeah, so it started with, again, that Ricky Fowler example, and then we were able to go back and do research on retail and commerce and saw that really since the 1850s, consumers have largely purchased from big, rigid, impersonal distribution channels like Macy's, Neiman Marcus, Amazon, etc. And the younger consumer, especially Gen Z, they care about the brand, the product, and the experience, but they have no allegiance to the channel, right? So we saw an opportunity to not only take celebrities, but actually enable anyone to open a store from their phone in three clicks. And it made a lot of sense on paper. Paper, right. So I started uh, started to, to put some money into it, some personal money. And then um, we'd raised around five or ten thousand dollars from one of my cousin and co-founders, uh, Google friends. And uh, yeah, I actually just went into a hole. And, uh, you know, I have a film degree. I understand spatial reasoning and especially when it comes to a confined space or screen. Um, but I knew nothing really about building tech. And so I took a bunch of YouTube classes, learned UX, learned UI, learned how to design and, and then started to to stitch the prototype together and build it screen by screen and sketch. And I was able to stitch it together with Envision and it looked and felt like a real app. Um, and there was not a line of code written. And then I went out and I said, well, okay, we don't have a business here if we don't have brands. And we knew that smaller brands, this would be great for because smaller brands struggle with customer acquisition. But we said, can we sell this to the bigger brands? And we actually got uh, Marmot and Luxottica to sign a term sheet that said that they would like to participate in store whenever it would be built in the future. That's amazing. Also, I love just how scrappy that is. I actually use Sketch way back in the day when I was starting LearnVest, and I haven't heard someone talk about Sketch in a long time. It's, um, it's amazing. And to your point, just being a founder, to literally draw and make something come to life that's in your head. I used to find that I used to talk in pictures because I'd be like, here's what the experience is, and this is what I want it to feel like. And there, there's really no better way when you can actually start to put a pen to paper. Well, so that's amazing. So um, talk through. So one of the biggest... I would say major advantages of stores, the kind of three key trends, the rise of the peer-to-peer economy, the lack of personalization in a retail market dominated by Amazon, and then the inauthentic commercialization of Instagram. Those are three kind of big trends. Mm-hmm. I want to like talk through a little bit of, if today I create the Alexa Von Tobel store, can you articulate to everybody, what exactly does that look like? And why is that a benefit to me, Alexa? Yeah, absolutely. So it is a digital storefront, right? So it's uh, you can now open up your own store in the same amount of time it takes to open up an Instagram account. And you go right into into the catalog and you can search by brand, you can search by product, you can scroll through and discover new brands that we've added to the platform or uh, based on a category. And you can click into those brands and then click into the individual products within those brands. And as soon as you click into that product description page, let's call it a pair of sneakers from Greats, for example, it says these sneakers, they sell for $150, you earn $35 if they sell, right? So you can quickly add those to your store and anybody can now buy that from you. And the cool thing about store is we built this to be platform agnostic. So while you have to download the app to open a store, people can buy from your store on Instagram, on the web, on Twitter, on Facebook without creating an account or without downloading the app. So that's kind of what it looks like. And it's really, it's, um, it's very simple. So I, I do hope you kind of create the Alexa store. The Alexa store is um, already being created, dropping <laughs> lots of great shoes and purses and all my summer attire in. <laughs> Give us a sense of just um, how big store is now and what's working. 
Yeah, so we have, uh, we're not releasing any official numbers on users or or, um, GMV or anything like that. We've been in the wild just two months now, so we're still pretty green, but we're seeing some really interesting data that I'm happy to share. And the most surprising thing uh, being that, I guess it's not surprising to us, we we were founded the company based on this thesis, but um, that people are buying from their peers, right? That we do have influencers on the platform. We work with influencers, um, influencer agencies, et cetera. But, you know, I don't think this is been really an opportunity that the masses have had. So now that they have that, we see a lot of 17, 18, 19 year old kids um, that have kind of risen to be our top sellers, freshmen in college, right? Uh, and again, you know, they're they're really doing nothing on the on the distribution side. It's uh, there is a magic moment in store when somebody buys from your store and you get that notification. And that says, Alexis purchased from your store, you would earn $37. And then the brand just ships it for you. Give us a sense of the population that's starting to soar that you feel like is sticking. So I heard you just say college students, but give us a little bit more of like, who's the demographic right now that is uh, starting to make store really work? It's two different demographics. It's really interesting. It is Gen Z, 17, 18, 19 year old students. Um, who just understand this peer-to-peer world. Um, And then an interesting one is moms. Um, We have a lot of baby products. We have a lot of um, higher-end products on the platform. So one way to think of of store, you know, people say, well, are you turning everyone into an influencer? We're we're saying, well, no, we're just enabling people to monetize their expertise, whether it's in fashion or whether, you know, you have a kid and you have a friend that's that's having a kid. Those peer-to-peer recommendations are uh, are really important. In fact, that's where 92% of all product recommendations come from. So yeah, Gen Z and moms right now, which is interesting because, you know, in some cases they live under the same roof. I love that. And at this point, what can be sold on a store? Give us a sense of the products that can go through a store. Oh, well, it's it's all over the board. So we, we started with, you know, a lot of apparel and accessories. So we have athleisure, we have fashion, um, and, but then we kind of moved into all sorts of uh, diff- different verticals as well. So we have consumables, we have novelty, we have books, we have home. And, you know, there's really no limit. It's just kind of a divergence away from channel first retail to people first retail. And you could eventually have uh, all sorts of different products, whether it's digital or physical. I was just gonna say, you really don't have to stop at books, clothes. I mean, you could actually include everything at some point to bikes, cars, real estate. I mean, truly at some point when things are easy to, to move, store can literally move anything. And with that, we'll be right back after this. In the 1990s, an engineer and avid bird watcher named Eiji Nakatsu was fascinated by the way the kingfisher could dive into the water without making a splash. He later designed a new high-speed train for Japan Railway West based on the shape of the kingfisher's beak, which broke world speed records while reducing noise and energy consumption. This creative breakthrough is brought to you by Airtable. Learn more and get a special offer for Founders Project listeners at Airtable.com forward slash Founders Project. One question I want to just fast forward and ask you, Eric. So you are at the bleeding edge of rethinking retail. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit of what you, if you had to have a crystal ball and look forward uh, 10 years, what do you think uh, retail looks like in a decade? Wow, good question. Um, I think online distribution will be completely decentralized and people driven. You look back at other companies who have successfully decentralized industries, what Uber has done to transportation, what Airbnb has done in hospitality. And I think those companies are great because they empower the average person to make money. 
right? So I think that we are uh, seeing the beginning of that right now, you know, with store. So I think online distribution, completely decentralized. So 500 million people led mobile stores and then consolidated robotic distribution. Um, and then hopefully on the success side of things, billions of dollars redistributed from existing retail channels um, who are, you know, just reselling goods, which I don't think is that novel redistributing that money to people in charity. I, I want to come back to the charity component in a second, but walk me through, what does that mean for brands? How do you think about brands in the vision that you just walked us through in 10 years? What does that mean for a brand? And I'm, let's take two brands. What does that mean both for the, the Ralph Lauren, where they're creating a lifestyle, right? That's what they ultimately do, a lifestyle that you know people can attach to. And then uh, let's talk about Barney's, which to your point, Barney's curates and allows people to come and buy the things that they curate. So talk me through, as you envision that world in 10 years from now, a store-driven world, what does that mean for brands? Yeah, so I think it goes back to the value proposition for a brand, which we think can be applied to almost every single brand. Um, and the value prop for a brand on store is instead of distributing through a few rigid channels like you, they are now, now they're distributing through millions of organic micro channels um, at higher margins with contextualized, authentic, user-generated marketing content that they don't pay for until the point of sale. So I think you know, one way to think about it is uh, we are enabling brands to monetize organic ambassadorship. We know that the most influential and the most trusted channels are our peers, but they're right now those channels aren't transactional. So what it means for brands is, you know, we've tried to create a model that's very brand friendly. When you come on store, brand gets to set the uh, user commission, right? Um, we do not undercut brands on price. Whatever it is on uh, ralphlauren.com, it is on store. Um, and then we give them really uh, valuable data. So, you know, Jason, my co-founder, was on the founding team of Google Analytics about 15 years ago. So we have access to data that we think no one else has because we're not just mapping consumer purchasing behavior. We're opening up what we think is a new data set, and that's identity-based merchandising. So we have a lot of behavioral data that we can share with these brands and, and enable them to make better product and, and save money on the marketing side. So, you know, we think that over time we could potentially create a universal catalog where all brands are on store. Um, if, if we're still thinking 10 years in the future, obviously that takes time knowing how slowly brands move. So for Ralph Lauren, you know, it depends on their digital strategy. I think Ralph Lauren's a really interesting one because they don't need to be rediscovered as a brand. People know who they are, but I think some of their products need to be rediscovered, right? I think they can get pigeonholed into the polo narrative. So I think for Ralph Lauren, they could come in, plug into the network, turn the people that actually love their product into commission salespeople. So then Ralph Lauren will have basically the these micro retailers distributing the products for them at higher margins, and those just turn into recurring revenue streams. Got it. For Barney's, I can go back to Barney's, sorry. Yeah, go back to Barney's. There's no way to, to kind of to sugarcoat this, but we are trying to turn people into the middlemen, right? So, you know, our investors, we took money from Peter Soxie, who I know you know, former yeah. CEO of Macy's.com, Karen Katz, former CEO of Neiman Marcus. Um, and those channels have been incredible for retail, but I think we're, what we're doing now is trying to turn people into those channels. So I don't know what the strategy is for Barney's. I know a lot of the retailers are making their own stuff now, so we could definitely have some of the private label goods on the platform for people to sell as well. 
I mean, I think what seems like a clear extension to store for, for me just being an entrepreneur is um, right now what you're basically enabling is everybody to become Barneys, right? So you may have a super athletic person who is the best at athletics and ultimately that person can become individually a, a dick sporting goods, right? If you have a super chic fashion forward thinker, maybe that person becomes Barneys. Exactly. So overnight, what you've essentially done is allowed people to replicate all the brands that are out there that used to curate goods for you. So that's part one. The second thing at some point that I do believe is happening is individuals, uh, you know, Ralph Lauren was a literal human who created a lifestyle ethos around that human but you know that overnight every person at some point can create their own brand ethos of things that they love and like effectively that's what you would put in your store at some point people should be able to leverage store to actually maybe even create their own products right there through you and you can design uh you know at some point, many SKUs of a certain thing, and um, that could be a, a potential growth place over time. But essentially, what you've just done is you've, you're cutting out all of the brick and mortar middlemen and allowing people to create their own universe of products that are their lifestyle. And to your exact point, that is how people shop. Uh, it's completely right. And to, to your point, you know, if you do create your own product, um, you know, Shopify has, you know, basically democratized what it means to be a brand. So if you're graduating from the fa- Fashion Institute or you, you know, want to start your own brand, and Shopify has made that really easy, but you have no distribution outside your own e-commerce uh, site. So now you can plug in a store and you can have all your friends sell your stuff. You could have, you know, the, your, your, your new brand could essentially go viral overnight. Exactly, right? As opposed to, you know, I have many, many great friends in fashion who you would go beg and hope and maybe Barney's would put two SKUs in on a floor as a test for six months and as opposed to like major scale overnight because of the internet. So yep. um, so talk me through, I want to transition um, a little bit back to the cause part of store. Tell us clearly, what is that exactly? So uh, this is a huge, huge part of the platform, um, something we launched with. So this is not a, an add-on feature. And, and this is, again, data coming from Gen Z. CSR is no longer a nice-to-have. It is a need-to-have. Um, so what we said is, you know, if, you, if, if we're redistributing the money these channels make to people, some people, you know, they're in it for the money. This is, we're seeing people make quite a bit of money. Some people, they're in for the fun. They like to build their own little store. So we've enabled any user uh, to give a cut of their commission to the cause of their choice. So working with Conservation International, we actually launched it in Atlanta with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's daughter, Dr. Bernice King. Um, We're working with Horizons, Donors Choose, and adding more each week. So it's really cool. uh, It it makes it less about the money and more about, um, you know, giving back. Give us a quick sense of uh, what would you say is kind of the the catnip feature, the feature that somebody loves on store right now that you can tell is is a part of the product that people like. There's a magic moment for sure. um, And that is when you make your first sale. And, you know, it's incredible because we know that as social media users, um, we have a physiological response to someone liking our photo. So now we've basically taken that same dopamine hit and attached it to money, right? Um, and of course, you're not fulfilling that. So if you get a push notification that says, Alexa, just bought from your store, you made $30, the brand is fulfilling that. The only thing I can really compare it to is if, if somebody accidentally Venmoed you $30 and you didn't have to give it back. That's a great point. So talk about Instagram in this universe. Um, how do you feel like what you're doing is different than Instagram? 
Yeah, so Instagram has made a big move into commerce and they basically have become a retailer, right? So we've talked a little bit about um, existing retailers and what we do, what our mission is with them. But so now Instagram takes a, a percentage of every sale on the Instagram checkout. So people don't make money on Instagram, not not currently. And then, you know, our mission obviously is, is people first. So on store, people and charity uh, make that 15 to 25% instead of Instagram. I think there's also one other thing is just as I, I love Instagram as a, as a user, um, but I think there's a difference in user psychology a little bit. You know, when I'm on Instagram, I'm there to consume content. And, you know, every third post is now a shoppable post or a sponsored post. And I think ad-based businesses can be at odds with the interests of consumer you know, the more money Instagram or YouTube makes, for example, the worse the experience is for the user. And on store, you know, you're there to shop. You're in a shopping mindset. So it's not confusing to be in a buying or, or selling mode. And, and uh, yeah, right now we have no ads on the platform. It's all user-generated content. How do you do user research? How do you make sure that you're so thoughtful about UX? How do you do user research to make store better? We talk to our users. You know, first of all, we, we have a UX in-house UX UI team. Um, we're all product people, but we are on the phone with users every week, and some of our best ideas come from them. So um, I think it's it's a combination of you know talking to your power sellers, but also talking to the people who have churned. You know, why did they leave? Why wasn't store valuable to them? And that really helps us kind of prioritize features moving forward. I think the the best thing you can do is talk to your customers that leave. And I think that, you know, being just relentless about doing that um, will continue to make store better. Now I want to transition to you, Eric. One, uh, you're a delightful, friendly, warm, um, energetic person. Talk a little bit about how you're feeling in this new position of CEO. How's it going? It's going well. I'm liking it. It's, you know, it's it changes every day, which is interesting. But I have a great team, a lot of support, a lot of incredible investors and advisors. And that's kind of my whole strategy was to put really smart, brilliant, experienced people around me that could advise me. And then I could kind of take all that knowledge and then make a decision. So I have a lot of support, but uh, it's it's a blast. I'm having more fun right now than I've ever had in my entire life. Did you feel like you always wanted to be an entrepreneur or uh, a founder? Or to your point, you were like looking to figure out a way to make more money and ended up in tech. But if we go back to when you were five, six, ten. Did you kind of have a sense that maybe you wanted to, to build something? I've always been a builder. You know, I, I've come from a family of, of builders um, and entrepreneurs, dating back to my grandpa, who was, a, who was a farmer. A lot of people think that, you know, farmers were the original entrepreneurs, right? But I wouldn't say that I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I bounced around for a, a lot of different jobs, and I was kind of looking for my way a bit. But I've always built things, whether it was hardware or software or tree houses or, you know, Legos. Um, and I think that's just kind of how my mind works. And I didn't know that it would translate to tech. I think I, I had a lot of learning and figuring out who I was as a person before I was able to kind of say, this is it, this is what I want to do. So no, it, 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 it was, I've always been a builder, but didn't always know I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Got it. That's awesome. When it's Sunday night and you're getting really excited about the week ahead for store, what's happening? What's on the calendar? What, what type of meeting? What gets you jazzed? I love product. I am a, you know, very involved in the product, all product decisions. I, again, you know, went into that hole and learned how to build and did that first iteration myself. So I feel very close to the product. So I love the product meeting. I like taking the data that we've learned the week before and turning that into product decisions. 
But I think the team is the biggest thing. You know, they're uh, they're talented. They're hilarious. They're a blast to be around. And I look forward to seeing them every Monday. And I, I think Tori, our, our chief business officer, once I, I expressed this to her and she said, well, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You're essentially paying them to hang out with you. So that's, that's not untrue. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Uh, last two quick questions about you. As you think about blending, so you have a unique thing, which is you have a family member in the business with you. Um, you co-founded store with your cousin. How have you navigated the blend of family in a startup? It's great. I think it can work for some people. It can't work for others. Jason, my cousin, he is 15 years older than me. Sorry to age you, Jason, but he's he's been an incredible uh, mentor. And, you know, um, there was a picture of us when he was graduating from college and I was about three feet tall and I had no teeth. You know what I mean? Like, so it's he's helped shape me as a person and an entrepreneur. And I think the best way to kind of navigate working with family is just be open and transparent about strengths and responsibilities. Um, but more importantly, time and who's going to commit more time to uh, a venture. You know, Jason has a family. I don't, I could take on some risk that he couldn't take on, right? So um, I've, uh, I've been able to devote my life to this because I, my life needs less capital to sustain where he's not in that situation. So I think it's just, it's just about being open, being honest and uh, leaving no question unasked because if you do um, over the course of a partnership that will manifest and that could potentially be harmful to the company. So what's one thing that you want to get better at personally? Now that you've been in the CEO seat, um, you know the drill. What's one thing that you feel like you want to get better at? Personally? Yep. Or, personally, professionally. Um, sorry. Anything about you being you, running your company, building what you need to build. What's one thing that you feel like you need to get better at personally? Yeah, I think my leadership style is like lead by example. I'm, I'm here late. I'm working hard. I uh, It's kind of always just been the way I've run things, but... That doesn't work when you become a large organization. You know, we're almost 20 people now. Our CTO, Evelyn, she has classically trained management skills. She's great at helping her employees grow professionally and and achieve things that they want to achieve. So um, I think I'd like to be more like her in that sense, where I'd like to be a better manager for the people directly under me. That's a great one. That's a really, really good one. Just last few questions here. What was your biggest pinch me moment so far at store? Uh, one thing we were like, wow, I can't believe that happened. Yeah. So when we were in our private beta, our director of content, Joel, came in the office one morning and he was just, he had this look on his face, like he was just so jazzed up. And we were like, what's going on? He goes, I know this company is going to succeed. And we we're like, what do you mean? <laughs> we think so too. And he goes, no, no. I was taking a nap last night and I woke up and I had made two sales. I literally made money in my sleep. So that was kind of the, the pinch me moment. It's, it's a funny one that we like to reference here in the office, but it is true. It is true. It is, it is kind of always on. That's amazing. That is so, I'm so glad you said that one. Okay, last question here. Other than store, what's one startup um, that you would want to pay it forward and you want other people to know about? Okay, let me think. One startup. It's I have something in mind, but it's completely has, you know, it's not even close to us or anything like that, but there's this company called One Wheel. And this is probably the nerdiest thing about me, but I, I do ride a one-wheeled electric skateboard to work up and down the hills of San Francisco. That's wear a helmet, key man risk, but... Eric. That's key man risk. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh it's unbelievable what these guys have created it's it's basically a go-kart tire and you stand over over top of it and it, it doesn't go as fast as the boost boards or anything like that but it's it feels like snowboarding on pavement which is a lot of fun 
That's so, you're having way more fun getting to work than I am by a mile. That is awesome. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to learn more about Store, simply download it in all of the locations that you can download apps. And join us next week for Inc. the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. Thank you so much, Eric, and best of luck with Store. Thanks, Alexa. Thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Montobel wherever your podcasts are offered. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Montobel. We'll be taking a little summer break and we'll return in September with brand new episodes just for you. In the meantime, you can catch up on the first half of season one wherever you get your podcasts. See you in September.